This is Journey with Care. We're in our series, The Flavors of Care. In a world where compassion and empathy are vital, there emerges a special individual who perfectly epitomizes the essence of nurturing, the helper, also known as the Enneagram Type 2. The helper is a shining beacon of warmth and compassion, possessing an innate and unparalleled ability to sense the needs of others and provide unconditional support. Their capacity for empathy knows no bounds, and they effortlessly radiate genuine joy while assisting and uplifting those around them. Beyond their nurturing exterior, the helper holds an unrivaled depth of emotion and an unwavering commitment to connecting others on a profound level. They forge deep and meaningful relationships that stand the test of time, making them indispensable pillars of support and encouragement within their community. Despite their selfless nature, the helper often needs to learn and walk out what it means to set healthy boundaries and recognize their own needs. This understanding of self-care allows them to continue caring for others with unmatched efficacy. In the company of the helper, one feels seen, heard, and understood as their authentic concern for others' well-being fosters personal growth and creates a safe space for vulnerability and self-expression. Today, we are honored to have a very special guest joining our host, Wendy, on this enlightening journey, Michael Rinnick. Michael is a spiritual director and psychotherapist who perfectly embodies the traits of the helper. Through his experience and insights, we'll explore the profound impact and magic the helper weaves into the lives and the communities that they touch. So get ready to be inspired as we delve into the world of Enneagram Type 2 and unravel the beautiful tapestry of care and compassion woven by the helper. Let's get curious and let's get into the conversation with Wendy and Michael. Welcome back to Journey with Care, Flavors of Care. I am so excited to have with us Dr. Michael Hrennick with me in our Shasta studio all the way from Toronto. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Wendy. It's great to be back. You are the first person that has come back twice as a guest with Journey with Care. And how does it feel to be a record breaker? I, I don't know. I, I feel almost like a celebrity, uh, <laughs> a care impact celebrity. <laughs> we'll keep it humble. But <laughs> anyway, this series, uh, we are back doing a series called Flavors of Care, going through the different types of the ways we see the world and looking at the different flavors. Today, we're going to dive right in to the flavor we have lovingly called the helper. Also, if you're in the Enneagram, you will recognize this as the Enneagram 2. Michael, before we get started, as a helper, what flavor of ice cream would you give yourself if you had to pick a flavor? Well, you asked me that uh, earlier, and I, I've had some time to think about that. And when I was uh, a little kid, we would go to the Dairy Dale on Saltern and Selkirk Avenue with my grandpa. That's right. You grew up in Winnipeg. Well, yeah, my grandparents were all in the North End and my grandpa would take us to the Dairy Dale mm -hmm. and we would always have rainbow ice cream. For 25 cents, you got three scoops and I got the red licorice, the blue licorice, but the rainbow was really my favorite. And that's the one I would go with just because it's sweet and fresh and it's got all these different flavors in it. But when I was thinking about the ice cream, I was thinking a lot of twos are really sweet. Mm -hmm. I mean, ice cream is always sweet, but this particular ice cream. It's a uh, crowd favorite. I identify with it and it's it's hard to find now. It's hard to find. It's kind of hard to explain why I would go with rainbow, except that I was thinking it has a 
certain kind of sweetness that's very distinctive. We were reflecting on this in the introduction, and I was thinking maybe you would be the one that would be doing whatever pleases the crowd. Like if other people are wanting this, they're going to pick that pail of ice cream. Let's say you're going to a grocery aisle. You would say, what does everybody want? And you would like that. Probably rainbow would fit that because there's a color for everybody. That's so true. You're right. Like there's the green and the yellow and the pink and the orange. I mean, there's all these different colors in there and different flavors, but it somehow all comes together in one delightful blend. I love watching you talk about this, reminiscing about your your rainbow ice cream, because you bring so much feeling into this. And and true to a helper, they operate out of their feelings. And, and you say it with such passion. Well, because I associate rainbow with so many wonderful things. And, you know, when I was little and, and my grandpa would take us when I was a little older and, and then later in junior high, I mean, it's hard to find in the city now, but I can find it in Gimli where we have our summer place. <laughs> but what can you tell me a little bit about yourself as a helper? How would you describe yourself as a helper? Um, well, I think I would go back very early in my life without getting too technical as a psychotherapist and a student of personality theory. I would say that from the very beginning, I learned how to take care of other people's feelings as a young person, as a, even as a child. That was because, well, first of all, I grew up around a lot of caring people. My grandmothers, as I shared in my first podcast, were in, incredibly influential in my life, both very deeply empathic, attuned uh, women. And I also grew up in a very caring and nurturing environment in many respects. But something very unique in my experience was learning how to attune and respond intuitively to other people's feelings as a way of adapting and surviving, um, because that's what we, we all do that. But twos and helpers are especially good at that, of kind of figuring out what other people are feeling and needing. And they respond to that because it gives them a sense of security and even survival. And then as I grew older, uh, my family history was a little difficult at certain stages of my life when my parents split up and then later coping with adolescence and so on. I remember as as a student being one of those people who was always the counselor and the friend to others the kind of person who people would come to share their problems with and talk about. Is it about. because they felt safe with feelings with you? No feeling was off the limits. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I, I think they knew that I was comfortable with listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a really good listener from very young, and I enjoyed listening to people and listening to their stories and their feelings and their needs and responding to that with, with care and empathy And I've heard from other twos in my life, helpers, that sometimes people-pleasing is is a tendency as well. Did you feel a lot of needing to please others, even in those difficult times within your, your own family circumstances? Did you feel that tug to please people, your colleagues, those around you? That is a cross that I carry. Still. Yes, very much. Yeah, people-pleasing is something that is, I think, integral to our our existence as helpers and twos. 
not only are we attuned to feelings and needs in others, but we want to please them. We want to accommodate. Uh, we want to meet them there as best we can. And I'm also, uh, again, not to get too technical, but a two with a strong three wing. Mm -hmm. And threes are very much about success and, and hard workers, hard workers and very driven and motivated to, to get results. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a caregiver from very early worried about getting results and, and mm. making sure that people were happy and making them happy and making sure they were happy. So as a psychotherapist, you've done a lot of deep inner work and you work with a lot of people. And we're going to talk about that near the end. But in those earlier years or in your formative, even as you've come to know yourself better, can you share a time in your life where some of that wasn't in health where people pleasing and helping others and achieving and working hard took you to an end you didn't want to get to. And what did that feel like as a helper? Oh, that's really easy because I remember distinctly when I was um, an assistant in L'Arche, Winnipeg. And for your listeners who might not be familiar, L'Arche is an international federation of Christian communities, uh, well, interfaith communities now that care for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I was attracted to the vision and mission of L'Arche very young. Um, and I I remember I worked as an assistant here in Winnipeg with L'Arche. And in my third year of caring for people, burned out, I mean, mm. really deeply to the point where I had to see the doctor and the doctor basically wrote a note saying that I was not able to work for at least six months and possibly longer because I was depleted and exhausted. So when you say burnt out, what does that look like and how did you recognize what that felt like? Yeah, burnout is a complex phenomena. And I mean, in retrospect, just to put it simply. I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> I wouldn't know if, I, if I'm prone to that. So I'm just asking the psychotherapist for a friend. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm happy to respond at that level. Um, so burnout for me was, was just over-functioning and exhaustion. At the most basic level, you're just caring for too many people for too long, and, and you're not caring for yourself. Mm -hmm. At the age of whatever, I think I was 23, 24, in L'Arche, when you're young and you're an assistant and you're caring for people in community, especially people with disabilities, uh, you're just giving all the time and you're yeah. not really you're not really conscious of your own need for self-care and rest. So on one hand, you were in your glory as a helper who loved to care and, and one step ahead of the other to, to really feel and help. But on the other hand, on the other hand, you're, you're running yourself into the ground. Um, the other thing, too, that is very, very important to understand with burnout is, is disillusionment. When you don't feel that you're getting back from the people who you want to care for you mm -hmm. or who you think should care for you, and you start feeling resentment and bitterness and disillusionment, and you don't feel like you're getting enough back from what you're giving. Yeah. And I was feeling a lot of that. I was feeling like people weren't recognizing how much I was offering and giving, and I wasn't being supported and nurtured and accompanied in the ways that I needed to be. And so I got angry and upset and, and a little bit bitter, actually. And so you lose hope, you lose motivation, you lose your, your passion for what you're doing. I can see what you're saying there. Thank you for sharing that. And now as a helper, is it easy for you to 
tell people what you need? Or are you hoping that people will understand and feel what you need? Yeah, that that's a really good question because, I mean, I think it depends on the amount of emotional self-awareness you bring. I mean, at that stage of my life, I was all in and not very self-aware and giving totally without a lot of expectation that people would know or I mean, all of what I'm describing was kind of unconscious. Um, but later in my life, mm-hmm. I became more aware that y- you do become more aware of your feelings and your yeah. needs and your desires and expectations and all those things. And that begins to matter a lot more. Sure. And that's the way that the helper grows, the two on the Enneagram, so to speak, grows in their wholeness is moving to a place of self-awareness and self-care and becoming more attuned to your own feelings, your own needs, and your own desires and honoring those as well as those of other people. Right. Yeah, I imagine it would take some creating boundaries, which might be hard as a two who wants to give out of compassion and seeing what is there, like I might as well do something about it. I want to come back to this thing about limits and boundaries because it took me about 40 years to learn about limits and boundaries. And, And that is also the work of learning how to care for others and learning how to care for yourself because you you have to learn the hard way usually what your limits are and what your boundaries are, what your feelings are and what your needs are. And that's a good example of where the Enneagram and these kinds of personality typologies can be a path to growth and healing because it's precisely through the fears and the pain and the suffering of that type of personality that you find your path to growth and healing. Yeah. And so it's been actually a real blessing to have that portal or that path to realize that for me, healing comes through honoring and accepting that I have limits and boundaries and learning how to actually allow and honor my own needs and even sometimes my own neediness. Yeah. Well, and that's what we've been saying throughout this series too, that Enneagram is simply a tool, but it really helps put language and something on the map for us to guide. It doesn't it doesn't mandate, oh, now you're going to be this way or you're going to be that way. It's not prescriptive, but it might resonate at a soul level. I'm just speaking from experience at a soul level. Oh, those are the patterns I'm seeing. This is why I'm feeling this. It's not just enough to say I'm angry, but why am I angry? That's a secondary emotion. What what about that? Oh, I'm hurt. And what is that? Oh, I'm a feelings person or I'm a a gut person and this didn't happen. Different people can look at things, the same experience in different ways Mm -hmm. and just gives us language to do that deeper inner work. I want to I want to go. You're a psychotherapist, so this would be a terrible thing not to to go into this direction. <laughs> but talk to us about the integration of our theology. I'm talking not just high level theology, cognitive stuff, but our belief system about God and who we are in God and psychotherapy. Is there a place for psychology and theology to be integrated without compromising? It's a leading question, I know, but this is your soapbox, so. Take it away. It's a huge question, and and I'm glad you're asking it. I have a simpler way of starting um, my response here by saying, in my training as a psychotherapist, but also as a student of of theology and psychology, we always 
would start with the axiom that good theology is always good psychology, and good psychology is always good theology. And originally, theology as a discipline and reflecting on the nature and the presence and power of God in our experience was all integrated in its its approach to human nature. Mm-hmm. Theology and psychology were sort of understood in a in a more integrated way. And then, of course, psychology emerged as a separate discipline over over centuries. But for me, there's a there's a deep unity still in understanding how uh, theology and psychology work to understand what it means to be a human being, to grow as a human being, to heal, to, you know, I'll use the word salvation, mm-hmm. because that's a, a word that not just in theological terms, but in psychological terms, mm-hmm. and say that, for example, when we talk about sin, we're talking about, in simpler terms, about separation from God. Mm-hmm. But we're also talking about not just about separation and alienation from God, we're talking about separation and alienation from our deepest self. And so in my work as a psychotherapist, where I I practice something called spiritually integrated psychotherapy, I'm always listening for the way in which a person might be separated or disconnected from their deeper self, but also from the source of ultimate meaning, purpose, and hope, and the sense of their own worth and value as a person in relationship to God. Because I think that uh, whatever your theology, we draw our sense of connection to our deeper self from a higher, more transcendent understanding of God. But those dimensions of the human being are related. And, And what you're talking about, what I was just picturing here is theology and psychology those both speak at a soul level, which I think sometimes in North America, we've created theology at a head level, right. not at a head and heart, right. which I think that passage, I'm not a psychotherapist, but that that connection there is is at a, a soul level that it's more integrated. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, obviously, the word psychology from the Greek word suke or psyche is is referring to the soul. And originally, and still, refers to the nature and functioning of the human person at the soul level, though now it's often termed behavioral psychology or behavioral science. And theology is really about the soul's relationship to God and and God's relationship to, to the person and to humanity. So those are deeply linked. So I, I like that. So we don't have to be afraid of going psychological or theological because they they can be integrated. I think the danger, what I'm hearing you say, is the danger is when we separate them, both on there is no God and we're going to keep spirituality out of it, and also there there is no psychotherapy and we're going to keep ourselves out of it. That's secularization, right? At its core, by definition, of compartmentalizing these things. And, And sometimes we as believers can get into that without even realizing that we we think that they're separate. But it's sort of like science and God, like the Bible isn't meant to be a science book, but we don't have to be threatened by science. But could we see God through creation and the discoveries that we're having? Could it inform how we view? Psychological insight, whether it's personal or whether it's as a discipline, is to me is a revelation of God's presence and power in in creation. 
that the more we've understood how God manifests or the, how the spirit manifests itself through our psyche and our psychology. And I think the important thing too is, is how we imagine God. Because working as a spiritual director for many years before I became a psychotherapist, you, you, you begin to encounter images of God that are very negative, punitive, harsh. And when people have that image of God as kind of critical or the judge or the police, per, mm. the police officer, it affects their worldview. It affects the way they relate to themselves and other people and all of creation because they see God as somehow threatening. Wow. that That's actually a really interesting lead into one of the questions I had for you is how, as a helper, do you relate to God? What does that look like as a helper to relate to God? Ah, oh, I've never heard the question framed that way. Um, I, wow, I stumped the psychotherapist. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, you've inspired, <laughs> you've inspired the psychotherapist and the theologian. I would say that my image of God was shaped by my personality as a God of, of care and compassion and communion. Um, so I, I think that I began to imagine and relate to God as a caring God. So have you found that God sees your need before you need it the way you see in others? Or have you ever had resentment towards God that you didn't feel he cared? I honestly have never felt resentment towards God for, you know, some sense of being uncared for. I, I felt confused because I didn't fully understand how God was caring for me in a particular situation. And I think that's, that's the whole mystery of discernment Okay, is, is really listening in prayer and meditation on the word and saying, uh, in fact, the, the Catholic lectionary reading for today, Matthew 10, is all about, you know, every hair of your head is numbered, that God cares for even the sparrow, how much more he cares for his children. And I think for me, it's, it's more of a wondering, curiosity, like, how am I being held and cared for in this particular situation? And how am I being called mm. to respond to that? So, for example, when I'm in a difficult relationship or I'm, I'm having struggles in a particular situation, I think I feel more that God is caring for me and saying, hey, what do you need? Because <laughs> you often, he knows that I often ignore my needs. And um, what do you really need? And how would following that need help you to find your way through this situation? Because I want you to know that I'm here for you and I'm here to respond to your needs. I mean, that's a, a way in which I think I experience God as a helper because I experience God as somebody who's available and wants to help me. So in your spiritual formation, as you've grown in the faith, and it's so evident in just our conversations and, and your life, um, how does feelings play into your mm. spirituality as a feeler? The helper, it comes out of a centeredness of feeling. What role does feelings have with your spiritual formation? As a non-feeler, I'm a gut person. I, I live by faith. That's It's like I, I just sense it and I believe it because of my gut. Uh, but as a feeler, I'm, I'm really curious. It's not on my dashboard, so tell me. In all of my work as a psychologist or psychotherapist, I've never separated emotion and spirit. Mm. I do not see any separation between the emotional and the spiritual. 
And it goes back to what I said earlier, that spirit works through emotion and spirit manifests through emotion. So for again, for example, if if I'm feeling joy, that's the spirit living in me as joy. If I'm feeling sorrow or I'm feeling anger, then that's the spirit manifesting in me. And in my psychotherapy, I often remind people, especially if they're disposed to faith, that feelings are they're rich in revealing the truth of who we are and where we are spiritually. If, for example, if I'm working with somebody who's in a difficult marriage and they're feeling lost and confused and it's been many, many years of that, I might invite them to reflect on that and say, you know, do you wonder whether spirit is kind of revealing something to you or, or showing you something through those feelings? And maybe there's something of God in that. Wow. Have you felt understood in your church ecumenical experience with feelings? What's your experience? Is there space for these rich feelings to be expressed and validated within the church? I would say the church, in my experience, has a long way to go in terms of understanding and integrating feelings as part of the spiritual life and feelings as part of our communal spirituality. I sense that feelings in our Western and Eastern Christian traditions are kind of still alien. Um, and that and that's part of our theological heritage. That, Interesting. That we introduced a dualism very early in the Christian church there was originally a very deep Hebraic understanding of feeling soul and body that was that was a unified whole. And then with the rise of Greco-Roman culture and, and Greco-Roman influences on theology, there was a dualism that developed between the mind and the body and the spirit and the body. So that separation again, dualism. The separation yeah. and the alienation of the mind and the body and the soul and Christianity moved down in a direction that was kind of focused more on the mind and and more on doctrine and more on what you believe what you believe rather than how you feel yeah because feelings can be dangerous right so i i'm thinking back or thinking in my experience that i feel relatively safe to raise my hands and praise god and say hallelujah and experience the joy of the Lord. Think about our worship songs. I don't know if it's always safe to feel sorrow or grief or anger. Do we experience that in community? It's a harder to find. I'm probably looking out for, for the helpers or and maybe the, the fours, the creatives as well. They, they can sit with deep feelings as well. It, it's interesting. I Feelings. I I was taught. I don't know if anybody, if you've heard this, this choo choo train of like the the beliefs and the feelings is the last caboose in the the car of the train that it follows your beliefs and your your thoughts and everything else that you shouldn't be led by feelings. Now that doesn't feel very honoring to you as I say that because what if you are leading with feelings but in a God centered way? Yeah. You know where I'm going? Did you ever get that train uh, I've never picture? heard. I've never oh, heard. Oh, I had it in my uh, baptismal classes. Is that right? I see I, where they're coming from because we don't want to just be like woo-woo and just be led like this way and that way with feelings. I think that's the danger, right? 
right. if you're not centered and grounded in in who you are in, yeah, and, in God. In sound doctrine. And, in sound doctrine. So you need all of it. It's integrated, though. Yeah. I think, again, the church has a lot of work to do in how it integrates, let's say, feelings and doctrine and polity and practice. Again, because of its emphasis on the mind mm-hmm. and good theology and good doctrine and, and beliefs, it has tended to kind of marginalize sure. the experience of feeling and the experience of relationship with God at the feeling level. And I know from my tradition, it coming out of the Eastern Christian and Eastern Orthodox mm-hmm. heritage, that uh, we tend to the mystical. And mm-hmm. the mystical is sort of a level of human experience that goes beyond thoughts, images, feelings, words, into this kind of direct, soulful experience of God. But we have an expression in psychotherapy called spiritual bypassing. And, and spiritual bypassing is a very common phenomenon among Christians where they bypass their deeper feelings and needs and emotions and try to conform themselves to some ideal of Christian faith or Christian practice or, or Christian discipleship um, and end up becoming deeply anxious or deeply depressed or mm-hmm. deeply addicted because they're not integrating, uh, they're bypassing and not integrating their emotions. And the church doesn't help in that process because it tends to be threatened or fearful of talking about feelings or talking about needs. or talk- have more faith. I'll pray about it and I'll just pray more. Right, right, yeah. Have you brought it to the Lord? Yes, and that's that's a classic expression of spiritual bypassing, of not bringing the truth of your feelings and your needs to the Lord or to to your community or your family and saying, okay, well, how is God present and active in those feelings? Like if I'm feeling... If I'm feeling grief or sadness or depression, the Spirit is actually giving me a message. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I've done something wrong or I don't have enough faith. It's because I may be grieving a loss that I'm not even conscious of. He's giving you permission to walk that through with him. Lean into it rather than push it aside. Yeah, I would say lean into it or drop into it. That's kind uh, of my image. You know, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna invite you to drop into that grief, or I'm gonna invite you to drop into that longing, that desire for wholeness and fullness in your life that you you're not experiencing right now. Not to be afraid of that, not just to pray about it, not just to bring it to the Lord, but really drop into the experience of that. Well, Michael, we could be going on this conversation for a long time. I always love these deep conversations with you, but that rainbow ice cream is calling us. So we're going to have to wrap things up pretty quickly here. But I I have a couple, two last questions before we leave and go dig into that rainbow ice cream because we got to find it somewhere, right? (laughs) Um, How can people around you care for helpers? What's the advice that you could give if we have twos in our life, helpers in our lives? Well, I, I go back to limits and boundaries. I, I think that twos are helpers in our communities, and we all know who they are. I mean, they are the people who are often the core volunteers who are, you know, maybe the that small group that does a disproportionate amount. They'll say yes to things. Everybody loves the helpers. They love the helpers. And so whether we're uh, sisters and brothers or whether we're ministry leaders— we have to be aware that helpers have limits and they also have boundaries and that's a whole other topic, but helpers can get very enmeshed 
to use a psychological term, and uh, they can lose the boundary between themselves and other people. So there's a codependency that happens there. Codependency can happen. Codependency is a form of enmeshment, but there's many forms of enmeshment. And, And so we need to be very aware of how our helpers are getting exhausted, depleted, pushing beyond their limits, and maybe getting too involved with a situation or a person. That's where the boundary issues come in. So do I say, hey, Michael, I know you said yes to this, but... It looks like you have a full schedule. Can I take that off your plate or or is that disrespectful? No, that's exactly what we need. We need somebody looking, sort of watching our back and saying, I think that you might need a break here. And do you feel loved then when somebody sees that you're working hard and that we would like to help you out? I feel so loved and so relieved because I have a hard time doing that for myself. Um. And I need somebody who is kind of watching and saying, I, I think that you need a break. And I want you to take a break because that's hard for me to do. Well, Dr. Michael Rennick, rainbow ice cream lover, thank you so much for spending this quality time and helping us understand what it's like to be a helper. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, you're so welcome, Wendy. Thank you for having me again. Let's go eat. Thank you for joining us on our series, Flavors of Care. We will continue to celebrate the uniqueness of individuals and their ways of fitting into the community, sharing different perspectives and stories from different guests. We hope you'll join us and maybe you'll come out the other side learning a little bit more about yourself and those around you. And hey, just like ice cream, podcasts are so much more fun when shared with others. So share this series with a friend or family member and remember to visit our website, journeywithcare.ca to stay informed of upcoming podcast meetups, all the links, information on our guests, and so much more. Again, thank you for listening, and let's stay curious.